Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And now, it's time for Serralo Sports Talk with Joe Serralo. It's time for Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. Episode 91 is underway, and I can't wait. I know you can't wait either. Why do I know that? Because in just a few minutes, the star stud running back from the Los Angeles Chargers, Austin Eckler, is all set to join the show. That's right. Eck is joining the show in just a few minutes. This is an interview that has been over a year in the making. In fact, 13 months in the making, and it's finally happening. Austin Eckler joining the show, and we're going to make a push to get Eck to the Pro Bowl, to get him that Pro Bowl selection. He so deserves, the guy's got more touchdowns since week one of last season than anyone else in football. How many more? Nine more than the next closest guy. James Conner's got 25, Eck's got 34. Get this damn man to the Pro Bowl. We're going to do that on Sorallo Sports Talk in just a few minutes. But first, I know in the fall, in the winter, this is a football-heavy show. But the biggest news right now in the world of sports isn't football. It's baseball, and it just so happens to be my team, the New York Mets. In the wee hours of the early morning, late night for me in Los Angeles, just two nights ago, have signed Carlos Correa. 12 years, $315 million to be the biggest constant, the biggest star that they've had at the hot corner since their last captain, David Wright. Carlos Correa coming to the Mets, switching his positions, even taken about 45 or 35, I should say, less million dollars than the San Francisco Giants were offering to be a New York Met. Now, I say taking less money because you might read into this and say, well, the Giants flagged his physical, and that might be true. But the other thing that might be true is that Carlos Correa, after six days of a verbal agreement to be a San Francisco Giant, might have gotten cold feet. He might have seen his good friend, his countryman, his teammate in the World Baseball Classic for Puerto Rico, his good buddy Francisco Lindor over in Queens on a team that just added Justin Verlander, Kodai Senga, on a team that retained Brandon Nimmo and Edwin Diaz. He might have looked at that and looked at everything going on in Queens and said, what did I just get myself into? I signed with the Giants team that Leaks and rumors came out. They signed Aaron Judge. He was gone. He went back to the Yankees. I signed with a Giants team that I'm the only all-star caliber player in the lineup. A team that replaced an ace in Carlos Rodon with Ross Stripling and Sean Manaya. What kind of 13-year commitment did I just get myself into? And he might have gotten those cold feet and picked up the phone and called Scott Boris, who went from hating the Mets and the Wilpons for years to loving the Mets and Steve Cohen, and said, get me to Queens. I don't care if it takes 35 less million dollars or one less year of security. Get me to Queens. I want to win championships. And look, I know championships are not won, nor are they bought in December. But my oh my, does Carlos Correa, does that addition to the lineup, that gold glove addition to the field, make a ring sound way more attainable, way more achievable, way more realistic for the first time in what? 36 years in Queens? I mean, I'm not anointing the Mets 2023 champs, right? This is a team that just went out there and was the best team in baseball 
I mean, maybe their record was, what, second best in baseball for the first five months, but they, they beat the Dodgers head-to-head. They won the series against them. I mean, I think the Mets were the best team in baseball from opening day until September 1st. And then what did they do? They collapsed in September. Might have had the second best regular season in franchise history, but had nothing to show for it, right? Got swept by the Braves, playoffs. They were quick out to the San Diego Padres. We all know it, but that's all history. This team is deeper. This team has more power now. This team upgraded defensively. Eduardo Escobar was not a good fielder last year. He was a liability at third base. As great as the Mets were up the middle, McNeil and Lindor both had gold glove caliber seasons. The hot corner was a disaster defensively. Carlos Correa, you're getting a gold glove shortstop and you're taking his range and more than anything, his absolute cannon arm and you're putting that on the left side of the infield with him and Francisco Lindor that is as good as any left side of the infield I've ever seen. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. You look at, let's look at the whole infield. Every infielder on this Mets roster has made at least two all-star games. You have a first baseman with 50 home run power, a second baseman with a gold glove caliber mitt, and a guy who just won the batting title. You've got a shortstop, a shortstop who is a perennial MVP candidate, right? A guy who can hit 300, play gold glove defense, knock in 100 RBI. Now you've got a third baseman who plays gold glove defense, who has a cannon of an arm, who has 25 home run pop, can drive in 90, can bat 300, I mean, has, talk about clutch factor, has 18 career, the guy's not even 30 years old, he's got 18 career postseason home runs. This lineup's terrifying. This lineup is horrifying for opposing teams. I mean, the pitching is just as good, if not honestly better than it was a year ago. You know, people talk about, right, people looked at the Mets offseason, and they said, ah, did they get better? First off, you don't really have to get better. You just won 101 games. Second best regular season in franchise history. It's not a matter of getting better and winning more games. It's just about winning at the right time, right? The 80-something win Philadelphia Phillies just showed us that when they made it all the way to the World Series. Last time the Mets made it to the World Series, they had 90 wins. That was the fewest wins of any National League team in the postseason in 2015. Just about getting there and getting hot at the right time. But nonetheless, I'll still, I'll still humor you, right? So people say to the Mets get better. They replaced Jacob deGrom with Justin Verlander. Well... I wouldn't call that a replacement. Jacob deGrom didn't pitch for 13 straight months. Jacob deGrom only pitched two of the six months of this year's regular season. Justin Verlander went out there, put together a complete season, bar two weeks on the injured list, and won a Cy Young Award. I call that an upgrade, right? The best ability is availability. I'm going to stand by that. So, all right, that's fine. Whatever. You want to call that a replacement? Call it a replacement. People say they replaced Taiwan Walker with Kodai Senga. Or even, you know what? I'll one-up you. People say that they replaced Chris Bassett with Kodai Senga. Chris Bassett's great. I wanted him back. Chris Bassett was a really great number three. I think on most teams, he's a really good number two. Kodai Senga's floor is to be a three or four starter. His ceiling is to be a third ace on a team that already has Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. So now people say, all right, Taiwan Walker, well, you replaced him with Jose Quintana. Yeah, Jose Quintana, by the way, gives the Mets now three starters in their rotation who started game one of a postseason series last year. You know how many times a team has gone into a year with three starting pitchers who started game one of a postseason series the year before? It's never been done. So Jose Quintana, yeah, you want to look at his six and seven record? Look, I love Ty Walker. Ty Walker, I think, just gave the Mets two really good years in a row when they battled injuries from pitching and and inconsistency. Walker turned him back-to-back all-star caliber first halves. Jose Quintana had a sub-three ERA last year. 
He's the Mets' number four starter. He's a damn good number four starter. So I think the pitching got a little better, but fine. You want to call them replacements, call them replacements. They bring back Diaz. They bring back Nimmo. Not necessarily upgrades, right? Just retaining guys. Now they've got Carlos Correa. Now they're replacing Eduardo Escobar, who, with the exception of a phenomenal month of September, was an absolute liability with the stick in his hand all year long. They're replacing him with a World Series champ, with a perennial all-star. With a guy who, like I said, any given year can have a slash line of 25, 90, 300. That's an upgrade. That's an upgrade on a 101 win team that already had a phenomenal year. I, I mean, this team is terrifying. There's not a weakness in the lineup. You know, I went on my other show, Believe in Queens, one of the three shows I host with Believe, earlier yesterday, and went on that with Tyler Ward, Anthony Recker, the former New York Met, of course. And I just get giddy talking about this lineup. Because when you look at this lineup, you know, last year, the problem was one to six, sometimes one to seven, it was as good as any, but there were automatic outs, right? I count at the most one quote unquote automatic out, one weakness in the lineup for next year. And that's potentially the catcher position. Now, if Francisco Alvarez becomes your, your everyday catcher, or at least your majority catcher, your starting catcher, there's not a weakness. If it's Tomas Nito, if it's Omar Narvaez, all right, fine, that's your one weakness. And by the way, if it's Tomas Nito, I can live with that because I can sacrifice a little offense at the catcher position to have a gold glover like Tomas Nito, a gold glove finalist out there. So I'll make that sacrifice. Third base is no longer a liability, right? And, and one thing I was looking at when I talked about this lineup was Mark Cannon. Now he's an interesting guy, right? Because you look at this lineup and it's Alonzo, it's McNeil, it's Lindor, it's Correa, it's Nimmo, Marte, you can go on. Mark Canna. In this new era, this new day and age of the universal DH, gives the Mets a guy who I think can be the most effective nine hitter in baseball. Because a lot of mock lineups you see on Twitter, on MLB Network, they're slotting him in at seven. And I think if you put this guy in the nine hole in the lineup, you're getting a guy who last year was one of three Mets to average more than four and a half pitches seen per at-bat. That's a tremendous stat when it comes to making pitchers work hard, running them deep into counts, tiring them out. That was when the Mets won last year. When the Mets got pitchers out of there in the fifth inning or sooner, they won almost every time. So Can is a guy who was really crucial in that, right? So you take you take his deep at-bats. You got a guy who's like a 270, 275 hitter who is a 15 home run shoe-in, can hit 20, has the pop to maybe hit 20, and then you flip the lineup and you, you get a guy in the nine spot who can potentially give you a base runner, a base runner in scoring position for Brandon Nimmo, for Correa, for Lindor. I mean, there's no weakness. This lineup, it's like the Braves last year. The Braves one to nine were the scariest team in baseball, scarier than the Dodgers. Even when you get down to eight, nine, scarier than the Astros, right? The Braves at, at one point had like Michael Harris and Vaughn Grisham at the bottom of the lineup, just flipping that bitch over to the top. And then you had Swanson at the top waiting to knock him in. Acuna at the top waiting to knock him in. That's, that's the Mets in 2023. And that's why I am so damn excited for what this upcoming season holds for this team. Look, Steve Cohen isn't spending a half a billion dollars on this team to just win 100 games and being out in the playoffs. He's now, he saw what he did a year ago. He brought in a new manager, phenomenal hire in Buck Showalter. He put the pieces in place, and he watched that team have a historic season, right? At least by, by Mets standards. It was the second best regular season in franchise history. But he saw their weaknesses and why they got bounced so quickly in the playoffs. 
So now he knows his team can win 100 games. He knows his team is going to make the playoffs. But now Steve Cohen has positioned his team to not just make the playoffs, but to win in the playoffs. That's why he's a brilliant owner, right? He's not doing this to profit. He's going to go spend his money. And you want to try to... You want to try to handcuff him with a luxury tax? This is a guy with FU money. He's going to say just that. He's going to say FU and go blow through that luxury tax. I mean, I talk about a half a billion dollars. 20% of it is a tax. Is the luxury tax he's paying. The payroll is just shy of 400 mil. Luxury tax is right around a mil, 100 mil. So Steve Cohen's got FU money, and he's saying FU to the rest of the owners, to, to the owners in Pittsburgh and Tampa and Cincinnati who refuse to spend, who sit on their money and don't put a winning product out there, bar Tampa Bay, of course, Steve Cohen is not doing this to profit. He's doing this to win. He's doing this because the guy, like many of us, has an ego. And he not only is a lifelong diehard Mets fan who wants to see the team win for the first time since 1986, but he wants to be the reason that the team wins for the first time since 1986. And he doesn't want to win one. He's got these eight, nine, 10, 12-year contracts going out there because he's not trying to win one championship. He's trying to make this team not world champs, but make this team a dynasty. And I think he's going to do so. Look, I want this team to win a World Series in the worst way, right? They've been to two in my lifetime. I was only old enough to see one. Never seen them win a World Series in my lifetime. I need that. I need that one World Series like I need air to breathe. But I, at the end of the day, wouldn't be happy with just one World Series. And you know who would be less happy with just winning one than myself? Steve Cohen. He's positioning this team to be a dynasty, to not win their first since 86 and their third ever, but to win their third, their fourth, their fifth. This is set up for multi-years, for, for a multi-year success plan. That's what Steve Cohen's doing right now. And that scares a lot of other owners. They look at the years, they look at the hundreds of million dollars he's spending, and that commitment scares a lot of other owners. But Steve Cohen is all in on this team. He heard Jacob deGrom say that he loves the quote-unquote vision in Texas, that they can win. Well, Jake, that vision's going to get you a 76-win ceiling this year. But if you want to go, sit back, collect those checks, not pay state income tax, be my guest. Look, I don't have any ill will against Jacob deGrom. My problem is that he went on that press conference and he talked about the vision of winning in Texas. Jake, call it what it is, baby. They were the highest bidder. You're not paying state income tax. You're sitting back and collecting a fatter paycheck in Texas than you would in New York. But don't talk about winning. Because the only guy with a vision of winning between the Texas Rangers organization and the New York Mets organization is Steve Cohen. And the Mets are going to win. They, they couldn't win with Jake. They got there in 2015. He was a huge part of that, that postseason run. My goodness, they're going to finish the job without him. I can't wait for the 2023 baseball season. I just got everything I want for Christmas. Thanks, Uncle Stevie. My family doesn't have to get me a single gift. Steve Cohen did it all. But... That's enough baseball for now. After all, it is December. It's football season. And we've got Austin Eckler joining the show. So stick with me, Joe Serralo. We'll be right back here on Serralo Sports Talk. All right, we're back here on Serralo Sports Talk. And as promised, joining the show, he is the starting running back, the star running back for your LA Chargers, Austin Eckler. Austin, thanks so much for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Joseph. I appreciate you, uh, you know, finally getting the time to get me on the show. I know you're, uh, you just told me you're a winner of one of my jersey giveaways, so you got me on fantasy. That's what's up. Yeah, man. Let's start there. Let's start there. This was from actually last season, the 2021 season. I got uh, this jersey yeah. over here that you mailed to me. It's the powder blue. It's the best kind. Little uh, yes. custom message. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. Hey, I appreciate you joining and everyone else that has me on their fantasy team. It's been it's been another good year, man. We put back to back years together. We got a little bit more to go, and I'm uh, looking forward to capping it off. I got myself on my only um, team that's made it to the playoffs, um, so got a lot riding on it. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. You know, let, let's start there actually, because I was going to get there eventually. Uh, a lot of NFL players hate fantasy football. And I, I think it's actually incredible the way that you've embraced it. Obviously, last season, starting this, you know, signed jersey giveaway. I think what won me that jersey was I had won by a tenth of a point. And you were either mm. on Sunday night or Monday night football. And I tweeted at you. I was like, yo, thanks so much for this win, man. It was it was really clutch last second. Why the, why the decision to embrace it when so many players hate it? Obviously, it brings out the worst in people sometimes on social media. So yeah. what was your yeah. little journey you know, in fantasy sports? I love how passionate about you know, fantasy sports and sports betting that people are. And, you know, people have their money on the line. They have their pride on the line. So they really are into it. And as you said, you know, that can bring out the worst in people because they do have so much, you know, as far as emotional connection to their teams or their bet and stuff like that. So if if it doesn't work out for them, you know, that's when, you know, the Twitter fingers start coming out and people start, you know, DMing you about how they're going to roundhouse kick you in the jaw. Like, <laughs> that's, one, that's one that I've had. Literally, I've had someone tell me, like, OK, buddy. Um, but if you if you look past that, most of it is positive. I would say most of it is in a way when I mean positive, I mean, it's a, it's a great way for people to know who you are on a nationwide worldwide scale, something that's bigger than just your organization. And so that's what I love about fantasy sports and sports betting is it puts a it puts my name and my myself in a light where people wouldn't know who I was unless you know, I was in that, right? And I was giving them attention because if, if I was just focused on playing football and nothing really else, then my brand would be so limited because, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to connect with these people that are fans of other teams, but also fans of Austin Eckler now because I'm on their fantasy team and I want to capture that moment so that, you know, I can leave a legacy on the people that are fans of me and have me on their team. That's an awesome perspective, man. I absolutely love it. Let's talk about something that matters both in fantasy football and in real life. And that's your ability to get into the end zone at will. 34 touchdowns since week one, 2021. Nine more than the next closest guy. I mean, it's ab no one's even close to you with respect to that, Austin. You know, with all of that scoring comes the hope that you make the Pro Bowl. Last year, you led the league in touchdowns. You didn't make the Pro Bowl. Why should Austin Eckler be a Pro Bowler for the first time finally in 2022? You know, there's things that you can control and there's things that you cannot control. And the Pro Bowl is one of those where it's not really in my my hands. I, so I don't get too caught up in it. It would be an amazing honor. But, you know, it's one of those things where I can't decide where oh, I need to do this, this and this. And that's going to get me into the Pro Bowl. Right. Because there's voting, you know, there's people's perspectives, there's people's, you know, um, you know, bias that's thrown into it. So for me, if if it happens, I make the Pro Bowl, that would be an amazing honor. Absolutely. I'd love to be voted by, you know, my peers and fans uh, to get into it. Um, but it's something that I don't get too caught up in because, as I said, just like with other things in life, if you can't control it, like you got to limit your your emotional connection to it. And so that's that's one of the ones where I don't want to be the toxic guy in the DMs, be macking my fans like, what the heck, man? You guys didn't vote for me. Um, I get it. Look, I'm going to go out there and play as best as I can. And if it happens, it happens. If not, guess what? I'm going to come back and still continue to play as best as I can. Well, I'm rooting for you, man. Look, it, there's no way to sugarcoat it. You deserve it. And I hope you get the honor of being selected to the team. But I know that at the end of the day, no one wants to play in the Pro Bowl because they want to be spending that weekend prepping for the game the next week. And, you know, it's not necessarily always the best team 
that is the last one standing at the end of the day. Sometimes it's the hottest and you guys are hot right now. You were five and five at one point. You've won three out of four. You have what looks like a pretty favorable schedule the rest of the way. Obviously, you know, these are all pros out there. So nothing's grant, nothing uh, is a gimme. Nothing can be taken for granted in this league. But what's kind of clicked with you guys besides the obvious being health? Yeah. And I mean, that's what it comes down to what you just said there at the end, you know, we get some guys back and, you know, our playmaking ability, uh, our potential goes up and we're able to see that with Mike Williams, with Corey being back at center and then you know, Keenan being back making plays. And so when you have some of these guys coming back, um, it, it reestablishes the consistency that you were, you know, once, you know, at the beginning of the season looking at, like we going through preseason, like, oh man, like we're really consistent. We've got a lot of playmakers all over the place, start playing real games and start losing guys starts to go down. Um, just that's the way football is. You know, there's a reason these guys are getting paid $20 million a year is because they're really good and they're really consistent. And so when you lose a couple of those guys, it's really tough on your consistency and your playmaking ability. And now we're getting those guys back. They're healthy, right? We're coming down to the stretch. We were able to hold on long enough with a beaten up team to get us in a position where we're still playing meaningful football here at the end. And it's pretty special. And so that that would I, is what I would say is contributing to our run is having these guys back um, and playing, you know, consistent football with with our coaching staff, you know, putting us in a position, you know, schematically to where we can win games. And even then, our games have not been blowouts like you, you say we're in a rhythm, but it's not like we're out here dominating teams. It's just been like, hey, we're, we're playing all the way to the end and getting the win. And uh, that's kind of been our style of play all year. So I wouldn't expect anything less. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not trying to make it close. It is that's the NFL. It's competitive, you know. <laughs> but you know what? The beauty of it is, though, like for so long, the Chargers M.O., for lack of a better term, has been that, you know, you guys lead games and then kind of squander them away the past few years. Obviously, that was a big thing with Anthony Lynn, you know, being shown the door on his way out. And so the fact that that's turning around, even though they're close games, you're finally consistently on the right side of those close games. How much of that has to do with Justin Herbert and the way that his game's great? Yeah, man. Like this guy, number 10, Justin Herbert. Oh, my goodness. I, I've been saying it a lot these past couple of weeks. He's, he's always going to give us a chance. Like this guy is going to get it done. He's going to give our skill players, our O-line, he's going to give us a chance to be in the game or to win the game. And, you know, when you're looking for quarterbacks, you want guys like that. You know, like I said, we're not trying to make it close, but when it has been close, which has been most of our games, this guy's given us a chance to go win the game. And that's really hard to find in the NFL. Um, if you can find that, you want to hold on to that as long as you can, because, it, you know, obviously you want to be winning by you know, multiple scores, but that's not the NFL. So what do we need? We need a guy that is going to give us an opportunity to win games when it's tight, when there's 48 seconds left and, you know, we're tied. We got to go down the field and get a field goal like we did last game with, with Tennessee. He throws it up to Mike Williams, who made made that chance uh, a reality and uh, got us in the position. So, yeah, shout out to Justin. We got to keep him up, keep him healthy. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be a good thing for the Chargers. I would say so. Look, I know a lot of guys, you know, you want to keep negativity out of the locker room. But you yourself, you're really prominent on social media. I know that you guys see things, you hear things. When Emmanuel Acho called Justin Herbert a social media quarterback, and then he went out there Sunday night football against Miami and put on a clinic. How much was that social media quarterback thing discussed among you guys? I, I don't think it was brought up one time. Like Really? We don't, we don't, like, it's only been brought up by the media, um, by people like yourselves that are bringing it up because for the most part, Justin stays out of the media. Like he does a press conference, things like that. And he's not into it. He's, he's into the team. He's into just playing week to week. He just wants to play ball. That's what he wants to do. Um, kind of reminds me of Philip Rivers, right? Who really didn't do him a lot of media. He just, you know, showed up and played and hung out with his family and the boys. Um, and so, yeah, look, there's negativity. It's all over the place. It's all smoke and mirrors. 
Um, but for us, the reality is we have to go out there and play. And it doesn't really matter what anyone says about us. And so that's kind of the mentality that we take week to week. Yeah, I, I think anyone who's not looking for clickbait knows Justin Herbert's the real deal. <laughs> hey, that's that's the way of, of media nowadays. Like we have short attention spans. So however you can capture content and capture attention, you know, that's what people are having to do. You know, and that's that's the reality of, of social media. And is, is it a good thing, bad thing? I don't know. Um, but it definitely you know, if you have a banger, you know, article that's amazing and you don't have anything that's going to grab attention to it, you're going to get overlooked by some dude that said Justin Herbert's a social media quarterback and that's going to grab all this attention. Everyone's coming over here, you know. Well, it's so, good that you can laugh about it. We're not all like that, but it's good that you can laugh about the ones who are. Look, I'm, it's not that I'm laughing. It's just I understand the, you know, the dynamic of media and how content works. And so right. is it a good or bad thing? I don't know, but it is the way it is. So it's one of those things where you kind of have to deal with it because you can't control it. Well, look, Austin, before I let you go, man, you've got a primetime game coming up, Monday Night Football, right after the holidays. You're headed to Indy. We all know what happened in Indianapolis last week, being on the wrong side of the worst comeback in NFL history. How do you, as the opposing team now, you're going on the road to their house, how do you handle that? Because one of two things can happen. Either they could just pack it in and be done for the rest of the year, or they can come out extra juice, extra amped, and try to punch you guys in the mouth early. So what's, what's your approach going into that game? Yeah, you know, if you take playoffs and any post-game stuff out of the picture, um, which you should because we're not in the playoffs right now, right? This is another regular season game. We still all, all of us, regardless of what the situation is, what our record is, we are all playing for our jobs and our futures, right? So we're all going to go out there and play as hard as we can because that's what's been ingrained in us since we were, you know, small. And now, you know, we're still living that reality where we have something to prove to ourselves, to our coaches, to the people that are going to be writing our next check um, that, hey, we have value. So, yeah, there, there's no like, oh, look, you know, they could pack it up. Even if you're, you know, never won a game, you still got to go out there and try to compete um, because guess what? This is your longevity in the league. This is your future. This is your legacy. And you have to continue to write your own story. And so if you go out there and you're laying, you know, goose egg because you're like, oh, I'm think about vacation guess what you're gonna get weeded out of the nfl real quick because someone else that's hungry is going to come in so look yeah you don't take anyone lightly in the nfl like, all of us are getting paid to go out there and do this and there's a reason for that and so that's what we're taking it that's how we're attacking it we got to get ourselves right as far as our schematics for this week but yeah all of our focus is on beating the colts and we know that they're a dangerous defense and you know we got to put ourselves in a position to win well austin i appreciate the time so much man thank you and i hope you finally get that well-deserved pro bowl selection I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Austin Eckler, LA Chargers star running back. We'll be back with my best bets on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk. All right, back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. And what an incredible spot right there from Austin Eckler. I mean, that was an interview 13 months in the waiting, worth every week that went by. But let's get down to it. It's time for the Serralo Pick 6. It's time for my best bets of the week in the NFL. We've got a full slate. This week, unlike most, there's probably eight or nine games I love. Let me give you the six best. We're starting with the Giants, plus four and a half at Minnesota. I think this is a big letdown spot for the Vikings, coming off an incredible emotional high, pulling off the biggest comeback in NFL history. Take the Giants, plus the four and a half points. They're eight and two against the spread as underdogs. They are five and one against the spread as dogs of four or more points. Minnesota has four wins by exactly three points this year, by far the most in the NFL. Love the Giants getting points in this one. Sticking though 
with a different NFC North team. This time, not one I'm fading, but one that I'm tailing. The Detroit Lions, baby. 6-0 against the spread after a straight-up win. We're biting kneecaps and covering spreads in Detroit. Dan Campbell's going to take that team from 1-6 to the freaking playoffs. Now you ready for my third pick? It's my lock of the week. The Cincinnati Bengals minus three. Since he's won 10 out of 12, they've covered 11 out of their last 12. New England, 2-5 this year against the number as underdogs. 0-2 this year as home dogs. They're just 1-3. In their last four, both straight up and against the spread, not even Bill Belichick can save this team right now. They are in shambles. They are a disaster. That last play against the Raiders last week, pack it in New England. You're done. Cincinnati, minus three. It's my three-unit lock of the week. And locks of the week this year? Haven't given them out every week, but when I've given them out, they are six and one. Bengals minus three, lock of the week. Let's go to another dog. The Seattle Seahawks, plus 10. A double-digit dog in below freezing temperatures in Kansas City. Kansas City has just one cover this year as a home favorite. They've got just one cover in their last four regular season games as a double-digit favorite. You're talking freezing temps. You're talking a team like Seattle that likes to run the hell out of the ball, a team that likes to play physical defense. Give them to me, getting double-digit points in Arrowhead Stadium. Back to a favorite, though. Staying in the Seahawks division, it's the 49ers. They're a wagon. Seven straight wins, six covers in their last seven games. They're five and two against the number at home, and I think they're going to put the nail in the coffin on Washington's playoff hopes. Niners, minus seven. If you don't like the seven, find another game and tease them down six points to minus one because my oh my, is San Fran to win this game the absolute lock of the century, but I'm taking a minus seven. One more favorite. All those other games have been Christmas Eve. Let's give you a Christmas Day special. Miami. Minus three and a half at home. Aaron Rodgers in the state of Florida in his career, just four and five straight up, three and six against the spread. He stinks in the heat and humidity. Give me Miami. The Finns are three and one against the number as home favorites this year. They are five and one straight up at home. I think they're going to win this game. It might be close, but I think they're going to win by about four to seven points. Give me Miami. And now my extra point. My upset pick of the week, my money line dog of the week. I was very confident about this one, and then the legend Franco Harris passed away, and now I'm thinking Pittsburgh's going to have a little emotion behind them, but I'm still going to go. The Raiders, plus 120, Christmas Eve night in Pittsburgh. Vegas has won and covered, all of a sudden, four out of their last five, and they have owned the Steelers for the better part of the last two decades. They have won six out of the last nine in this series. They have covered eight out of the last nine in this series, and depending on the book, they're getting two, two and a half points. I think they win it outright. Franco Harris, obviously most famous for the immaculate reception, came in a huge game for Pittsburgh against the Raiders. Hope he rests in peace, but I just don't think that the emotion is going to be enough for a Steelers team that on offense just has nowhere near the talent that these Raiders have. Give me the Raiders, my extra point, my money line, dog of the week. And just like that, this episode, episode 91 of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. You might be taken off next week for the holidays, but I'm not. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.